Hello listeners, welcome back to the Founders Club podcast. In this episode, my guest is Javier Aguera, CTO and co-founder of Elsa Corp. A little bit about Elsa, well, stands for English Language Speech Assistance, is one of the smartest AI assistants for pronunciation training and accent reduction. Elsa has a growing user base of 4 million people from 100 countries. And about my guest, uh, Javier within Elsa is responsible for engineering, research in speech and AI and data science. Prior to Elsa, he founded a digital electronic audiobooks publisher aimed at helping language learners getting used to the language while reading. So please do enjoy this episode and subscribe to the Founders Club podcast. Thank you. Javier, uh, welcome to the Founders Club podcast. Hey, hello. Thanks for having me. So you were talking before you are based in uh, Lisbon and you are one hour uh, behind, respect to me, where I'm actually in Prague. <laughs> and we're talking about the, the timing and uh, the struggle of having a team in different kind of continents. You mentioned Vietnam, I mentioned uh, Shanghai, and then so on and so forth. So how are you, first of all? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we've been at home for a few months now, and uh, things are doing well. I mean, uh, Elsa's growing, the company, and uh, yeah, I think we're having fun. <laughs> fun on uh, doing Zoom calls. That's <laughs> that's what we want, and I hope we'll have fun also doing this interview. So let's jump into it without further ado, and uh, let's start with the. The first question that I want to ask you, and maybe we can address so the audience have a bit more knowledge of what we're going to talk about. And let's start with the, what is Elsa and what is the problem that it solves for its users? So, yeah, so Elsa is a mobile app. It's mainly a mobile app <clears throat> and a full technology behind it. And uh, we are trying to help users improve their pronunciation in English. Um, we, both myself and, and my co-founder, we are non-native speakers of English. I'm from Spain, so and, and my co-founder, the CEO, is from Vietnam. And so we both felt this problem of growing up and learning this new language where you would always have ways that you understand by, by reading it, by learning the grammar vocabulary, which there is plenty of sources you can go to to learn grammar vocabulary and, and how to write it. Um, but then we would struggle on how to pronounce things. And uh, the company basically started as a way to help these people that will have a, a minimum level of English. This minimum level is very varied. You can start with from very low, but and, and drive you through this, uh, break this barrier of, okay, let's, let's get you speaking. Let's get you uh, speaking English, telling you concrete, actionable feedback on the problems you have when you're pronouncing English so that then you can communicate better. And as a byproduct of that, what we're looking for is for people to, to be able to, to thrive, right? To, to, 
be able to accomplish whatever they want in terms of uh, business-like, like professionally, or because you're pronouncing, pronouncing much better. And you can imagine you've been in, you've mentioned Shanghai, you've been in Asia. This is a huge problem in Asia, also in Europe. I mean, Spaniards, French, uh, it is like, uh, we normally have problems because we don't uh, normally grow up with English, like sort of close to us. We teach it uh, in school, we learn it in school and that's it. And then uh, right. we go home, speak our home, our home language. No? So Elsa is trying to do this, trying to be, a, 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 say, a speaking coach, but without the huge cost and the commitment for specific hours that you have to give to a coach. It's that this tool, you do it, whatever you want, speak to it and, uh, and helps you improve. Right, because um, you mentioned pronunciation, which is the biggest problem that you you help uh, your users, and I think that's so uh, something which is overlooked at, at the academic level. So, if you study a language in school or in university, I've studied languages in university as well, and pronunciation was not something that teachers well they tried to, but they didn't have the right tools to help me out uh, in improving that. Besides, you know. Uh, giving me uh, books and some other kind of old tools, old materials, which actually doesn't help me much with the pronunciation. Um, and well, I've seen. Imagine, this... so sorry, it's not really that they don't have the tools, but I think in my case, they didn't have the bandwidth. So when I was learning English a long time ago in, 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 uh, either at school or after, after school activities, you would go to a, uh, what call it? We call it academia. It's like a, a place where it's a company that gives you one hour or two of English twice a week. In there, you have 10, 12, 15 people and one teacher. So sometimes the teacher wasn't even English, wasn't even from US or UK. It was a Spanish teacher with the same problems as in pronunciation <laughs> as you would end up having. Right. Some other times, no, they were native, so it was great, but you could only hear because they could give you only one hour divided by 12. So maximum, maximum five minutes of speaking per session. And so, yeah, you can also, as I said, you can pay a voice therapist and you have all the time in the world, but then you're going you're gonna to be set back 100, 200 bucks per session, right? And that's not something you do when you're a kid. So, yeah. Yeah, and exactly. And, and people who experience most of the people who experience this uh this problem are more than let's say the western are people in asia and and i when i was living in shanghai i've seen a lot of uh chinese parents who are like really pushing their kids to acquire uh english language and have like a good pronunciation and since the, those kids are three years old they're sending sent to this after school kindergartens or this language, English language schools, because they wanted their kids to be able to speak really well English. <laughs> and I, I remember I've, I've seen this happening and and especially in Asia because parents give a lot of weight to education and put a lot of emphasis on, let's say also English education, you know, their mm -hmm. kids, uh, they want, to speak really well because later on they'll send them to US, to UK, and so on and so forth. And this is uh, very frequent in uh, in Asia. So I guess some of, to some degree, some of your customers or users are into uh, from within Asia, or are how are they spread in terms of users? Yeah. So we 
I mentioned my co-founder is Vietnamese. So our first market where it was easier for us to test and grow a market was Vietnam. Um, Vietnam is still nowadays one of our biggest markets. We've uh, grown from there. We, we've done a lot of business in Japan. We have uh, Korea. We have uh, outside of Southeast Asia, we are growing a lot in India. Um, so nowadays, I mean, the app is open everywhere uh, around the world. So nowadays we see lots of people, pockets of people uh, popping up here and there. We have lots of users in Brazil recently. Uh, that was something funny because in Portugal, Brazilian Portuguese and, and continental or European Portuguese are similar, but not the same, right? So, right. so recently we, we were translating the app in, in Brazilian Portuguese and sometimes you're like, mm, this doesn't sound good. And it is actually good because it's Brazilian Portuguese. <laughs> but, but yeah, we've, we've seen a lot of Brazilians coming in, uh, some people in the Middle East. Uh, so United, United Arab Emirates, lots of people in there. So yeah, we've, we've seen a lot, but yeah, most, a lot, a lot, a lot of our users are, are Asian. And, uh, and going back to what you're saying before, if 30 years or 20 years ago, we've had everybody doing uh, English since three years old, I think maybe Elsa wouldn't have a reason to exist nowadays. Um, that's a theory, right? Because uh, if you grow up and you actually speak a lot more, your, your English becomes, I mean, you're, you don't have this problem of pronunciation. The problem we have, or the problem we are solving here is with all those young adults that nowadays they are uh, faced with a, a totally inter internationalized work environment and they don't feel comfortable with English, right? And those are the ones that they will even uh, block themselves and not even try not to speak English because they are not confident to use in the language, right? And so that's sort of what the app is trying to overcome. All right. You mentioned your uh, co-founder and what I wanted this follow-up question to ask you is how do you guys met with each other and how it came to be that you end up working on this project together because I'm really interested about I think it's part of uh, the success of a startup depends on the founding team and then obviously there are other elements thus I'm interested how did you met with your uh, co-founder and how did you guys end up working on this project? Yeah, so it's funny. I did not know my co-founder at all when, when we started and we, we started this very soon after meeting. Um, actually, so, so that's 2015, that's more five years ago. And I had been doing my own little solo entrepreneurship gig. I come from a background of uh, research. I did a PhD in speech processing and um, I worked many years in, in, academia, in uh, academia and then in, in, a, in a big corporation doing research, multimedia, speech, writing papers, writing patents. And then at some point I moved to Portugal uh, with the family and I that's when I said okay I'll, I'll do entrepreneurship a, a, a go I, I loved the idea I loved uh, what I could achieve I could be my own boss uh, and all these things um yeah but so a few things, months in if yeah. I may interrupt it, it reminds me of a book called, called uh, skin in the game so there is this author I know if you uh, if you have ever read this his book Nassim Taleb and he talks about academia and how he disparages academia saying that 
they don't have skin in the game because they just write theory and research, but then they don't have any experience in the entrepreneurship world. And I see you being that in that world, in that academia world, and then later on going into the entrepreneurship world and actually bridging that gap <laughs> and having some skin <laughs> no, in the so, game. Yeah, let me let me explain a bit more there. Um, yeah, so I, I did part of my PhD in Barcelona, part of my PhD I did in Berkeley in the International Computer Science Institute. It's a great, great place. The time was the golden years when I was there in the early 2000s. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, basically there, you, I, was, I was a machine of pumping papers, right? papers, research. I was in an area that was quite new at the time, uh, only a few years in. Uh, and so um, it was so easy to come up with, so easy by, you know, hard working, but come up with ideas and new things that you could try and it would work. And then you would write a paper, you would publish, go to conference and, and then when I finished, uh, when I finished my, my PhD, uh, I came back to Spain and I worked for, for I said, eight, nine years in the, to, for this uh, big telco, it's a Telefonica, it's uh, the biggest telco in Spain and, and has many uh, business in other countries, South America and Europe. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was there part of a, of a very nice team. We were doing research in multimedia um, with, uh, led by, by a... A fantastic uh, researcher came from Microsoft to lead the team. And uh, it ended up being more or less the same thing. Lots of papers. Uh, difference there is that before we published the paper, we looked, okay, is it patentable? Yes, let's patent it. And uh, that was like a huge production. Every year uh, I was producing 12, 13 papers oh, on wow. different areas. Yeah. Now, at so after some time, you realize, okay, so let's have some real impact let's get some of these two products right and that's where that's where in my opinion when i when i was there that was a problem i mean the, the the we were not set up in a way that was easy for a researcher to bridge this gap get a team interested into in this research and then end up it being a product it was possible but it actually never happened to me there and uh when I left, that was the, the point of, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur. And the thing I want to do is I want to have impact, meaning whatever I decide that goes will go into the hands of the user. Now, I didn't realize that the users would not be there in the thousands waiting for me to give them something. I had to build something that they were interested in using right. or else they would not be users, right? And uh, so that sort of, uh, as an entrepreneur, you really, then you face the, the okay, uh, is it what am I doing? Is this the right product market fit? The, do users actually want to use it? Or I'm just inventing a, an area and I'm working on some technical, because I'm the technical guy. So, I mean, I feel like, oh yeah, you know, this is so exciting. Let's, let's get this perfect. And really, maybe the user don't, don't, don't care about that, right? So, right. anyway, <clears throat> so, so going back to... to your original question uh, of meeting my co-founder. Um, after a few months, I'm like, mm, you know, solo entrepreneurship means me That's in hard. coffee shops, looking at me myself and looking at my things. I lost, I, I, uh, I lost uh, sort of this thrive of me putting lots of hours, because me lots of hours means like 12, 14 hours per day. Uh, and putting, I was doing that at the beginning, then I sort of lost it. I, sort of drifted 
And I, there was no there was no co-founder next to me pushing me and okay, keep going, keep going, right? So I'm like, okay, I need to change. And at that time, I, I didn't know if I wanted to go back to a big corporation or I wanted to go into another startup. The only thing I, I knew I wanted was I want to stay in Lisbon because this was a, a family decision and uh, we were we were happy here. I have some I have kids and uh, we I didn't want to move for the job, right? And uh, so I went to this conference, the, the main uh, conference in speech processing and speech recognition in, that we have in the area, which is called Interspeech. That year, it, it keeps changing, that year was in, in Germany. And uh, when that was, you know, when we could travel, if people <laughs> remember that. <laughs> and um, yeah, um, and, and then in there, I started talking to my friends, basically just lots of people I know, hey, I am basically at this point, I'm thinking of joining some startup company. So uh, tell me, what would you do? Who would you approach? Do you know people? Is, do, is your company hiring, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I remember that conference, I spent it like, like talking to people, uh, seeing a bit of what's new, but mostly like looking for, 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 for my next uh, gig. And there there was uh, my co-founder um, also who was came explicitly to that conference because he had been with, with another co-founder we had at the time. They had been uh, starting Elsa. Elsa had started maybe four or five months uh, prior to the conference. And they were hurting to, to they needed to get the technical co-founder. They really mm -hmm. needed somebody. So um, the technical advisor that we, we have uh, recommended to them that, hey, go to this conference and just talk to people. And uh, yeah, we, we met, we talked a couple of days. The conference is over four days. We talked a couple or three times. Um, we parted ways. I came to Portugal, they went to San Francisco and uh, exchanged a couple of emails and uh, started working together. So there was no real, no real, uh, a lot of meeting each other. Like there was a, a, a bit of a gamble. Okay, you know, I, I remember myself thinking, Will I be able to work with a Vietnamese girl that is totally so different from me? Is an MBA right. graduate from Stanford, totally a different area, uh, and work with her over like a, a, an eight-hour gap uh, difference, not seeing each other for a long time? Can I do that? Let's go. Let's try. Right. And so far, five years. <laughs> and it worked out uh, really well. And I wanted to ask at the time when you had those emails exchanges mm -hmm. when she introduced you the project what what was it that said okay that's something interesting and appealing that i drives me to join this company because i can i think i can bring value and also i think i like this uh to work with this team founding team do you remember, was there any specifically something in particular or not really where the overall project was interesting yeah no so no no it, it was it was very specific um the at the time we met there there was they had hired a couple of uh, engineers to build a prototype so they showed me a prototype right and it's like uh i was looking at that i was like yeah it actually uh, the idea is here right they were showing uh, the the idea of elsa was all in there where people can read, Elsa has this curricula, they read uh, a sentence and then you get feedback uh, pinpointing the errors you're making 
in the within the different sounds of the of the sentence and um, i was coming back from from meeting them i was thinking well yeah this this is uh, more or less like approaching the same problem i was approaching in my solo entrepreneurship startup which was also on on edtech let's say when I, nowadays we call it edtech i mean back then uh, i was i was making audiobooks that you could uh, read because there was the text and listen to at the same time so there was like karaoke style you could mm -hmm. see it and my my idea there was to train the capacity of the student to be able to break down break break up the language that they don't know into the right pieces because many times you look like uh, here and you're like okay what did he just say so if you can break it and see what words they're speaking it's easier to it's two modalities that come in instead of only one so i was thinking well actually Elsa is attacking the problem of, of education in, in language education from another point of view, which is uh, the user actually speaks and we, we are training the production, not the listening. So right. like, yeah, I mean, that's nice. Uh, I, was, um, I, I was thinking mostly, okay, here is a, a, an MBA graduate. I saw the thrive in, in, in her, in my co-founder, saw the thrive, saw the energy. And I'm like, well, you know, that's probably the part that will complement my technical capacity into, into making this work. So actually the, the first thing I did when I came back that I promised I would do to them is I, I, it took me a week or so, I was doing other things. And then finally, I, I, I looked at the app, they sent me the, the APK, I installed it. I looked at the app and I sent them a bunch of feedback. Hey, you know, what about this? I would do it this other way. What about that? I would do it like a long email. And uh, that sort of, I guess, answering to that then we we started like talking really like uh, um really setting up okay you know how do we come in you want to come in as founder you want to come in as just an employee uh and uh, and then from there from there we we move things forward yeah i mean um i was very very direct on on when i first met them which is i want to live in lisbon and they was very direct answer no problem so that for me was also one of the key points, like, okay. And for me, like being able to live what I, what I like and do something that I like, because we, let's remember, I mean, I have a, a speech technology background. Nowadays, you know, we, we call it data science and uh, we do machine learning AI, but hey, I not only do machine learning AI, I do it applied to an area where I've all my life I've been into and I, lo I love and I think has a lot of potential and nowadays, technology allows us to to actually do it better do it as good as we've never been able to and so that was okay you know all the all the ticks are there fine let's go once all the boxes were checked the deal was made <laughs> um let's talk a little bit about uh, the business model so i've been playing with the app and uh, i guess it's uh, it started with B2, B2C, so addressing directly uh, the end, end consumer, end user. Uh, but also, so, uh, you also address uh, the corporate. So let's talk a little bit. Uh, was it the B2C that you first started or the B2B? And what are the challenges and differences that you, you've seen addressing those kind of uh, two type, different type of businesses? Yeah, so, so yeah, we started Elsa thinking of B2C. 
um, we we wanted to get to to the end consumer, to that person that has a need for for improving their language communication, language pronunciation, and then just they download the app and start using it. And uh, in a sort of a freemium model so that you download the app, you can start using uh, right away. You can use it. You can use some parts of it without paying forever. And then if you want to use the whole content, the whole curricula, which at first it was reduced, but now it's, it's, it's huge. Um, then uh, you pay the monthly fee, which is not much. It's like four or five bucks. Depends seven. Depends on the on where you are. Depends on the exchange rate. Um, so that's been always our our core. I mean, to be have an app that you don't need to be in a company uh, to be able to get it uh, to to get access to it. What happened then later was that actually. Um, we started approaching when we had a little few few more people and business developers of uh, of ours started approaching uh, universities, English centers, saying, "Hey, you want to offer this? Uh, you want to buy a few licenses for your students?" And then uh, we started getting this feedback, say, and even companies, and even this feedback, say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we we love it, but we want to have the ability to to the word seems bad, but uh, to track." The, the students. And by tracking means two things. Like if you're a company and you have these benefits you want to give to, to, to your employees, uh, all you want to do is, is you want to know if those benefits are actually being used. So you want to know if you're giving, if you're buying 100 licenses, are those being utilized or are they just sitting on, on somebody's phone? They logged in and that's it, that they, they don't use it, right? So that's on one hand. On the other hand, for, for language schools, universities, you also want to have the possibility as a teacher to to know how your students are progressing to maybe give them give them feedback give them homework and maybe go into this more blended education as I, as as i said like uh, you have a few hours in the classroom and then they go home and then they can continue with things related to what they did in class uh, practicing it right so so all that came as a, a naturally and we just had to take the decision whether we wanted to invest some of our resources to, to build uh, a, com a companion uh, website backend to be able to, to give this, right? And, and that's what came, uh, we've, we did it like a year and a half ago. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think it's still, B2B is still being developed, still bringing in new features and uh, we're listening to, to people. And, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's as a companion to the consumer app, which is always the same. Elsa, the offering, the, the app is the same for both B2B and B2C. In your experience, having both B2B and B2C, which one would you find more challenging uh, as a <clears throat> to, to deal <throat> with, with the companies in the B2B or indirectly with the end consumer? Mm -hmm. And moreover, what do you think like in terms of product the benefits and the features that you build, taking the feedback and build faster? Um, well, in my technical, in my technical side, um, for me, everything is an interesting challenge to tackle, but <laughs> uh, we've, we've been focusing uh, mostly 100% on making features that we think end users will like, okay? Um, when we, when we, um, so we have it very, very, we have it very well separated. 
I mean, we will listen to we will listen to everything that all, all the feedback that companies and schools that we work with bring us, which is normally around uh, this companion tool, companion browser that allows us to allows them to see how their students are doing, right? How how the, the people that are enrolled in the in in their program is doing, but most of the big features, most of the AI research and uh, things we're working on for the future are focused towards or anybody that is using the app. So I would say it's mostly the B2C uh, segment. Right. Let's, we, we mentioned at the beginning uh, your background a little bit, uh, which was, is uh, being in a, a research in an academic field and then transitioning in the corporate research and so on and so forth. And now obviously being an entrepreneur a, and a co-founder, how how do you bridge this gap of academic research with actual on the field implementation so transition the the research into reality in this case product that end users uh, uh, use because it's not something easy and not many researchers end up doing yeah and it, but it's a very interesting one <laughs> It's uh, it it really gets um, I nowadays I go to conferences and I keep I keep myself and my team we keep up up to up to date with all the state of the art and and uh, and we see lots of papers coming coming and, and explaining yeah we have now a new error rate that beats state of the art uh, or we have this new technique uh, we're looking at new things we can put for the users to practice and to and uh, we're looking at uh, things that on the paper they look very nice but then uh, you there is two maybe two, two types of problems one problem is they are they on the paper you have a fantastic error rate i mean you know very low then you try it on real life or on a different data set and it totally doesn't work <laughs> um, so that's one thing that is easy to spot because the first thing you will do is you reimplement it or you'll take the Nowadays, there is a lot of GitHub uh, code for reproducibility. You'll, te you'll test it and boom, just doesn't work. Okay, fantastic. The worst is those cases where you're like, yeah, it works, fantastic. But then you see that really that technology is not implementable at scale. So you need to be either spend a lot of time thinking of how to do the engineering part of making it uh, implementable at scale, so means fast, quick, depends on what you what it is, but fast, quick, so that the, your users are not waiting there forever for an answer, but also uh, in the economic sense. I mean, we cannot just have a, a single query that costs us $2. I mean, that would just mean that the, our users monthly fee would have to be thousands of dollars if they want to do it every day, right? Um, so, yeah, it it has, you have to take everything that has been doing, done on research in and also the research we do in, inside the company and filter it and, and know which things might work, which things definitely know it's still not mature enough and which things uh, uh, you really you know, want to try and, and experiment and eventually put it in, into the system. Uh, recently happened to us with, with uh, one technique that one area where we thought, okay, yes, we're going to put this thing. It's going to be so cool. Our users are going to be using this. And uh, we spent some time on it. And then finally we said, okay, no, still not ready. I mean, uh, let's wait a couple more 
conferences maybe one year more and see and see if it's actually um see if we get some breakthroughs uh of the people you know from the people that really know that they are doing phds on this and um breakthroughs on things that we can use and actually are working so yeah so when you mentioned doing filtering and among the this filtering and among the project or the research that you say okay we are going to implement this because it's something scalable and it will not cost as much to implement and obviously you have to define the success later on uh, if there's something that worked out and had a real impact on the end user so to do that i guess uh you keep eye on some metrics or how do you keep track on that so so during the research phase, there is always uh, you need a data set. Depends on the problem, right? But you know you need to gather some data set that is big enough, representative enough of your of your end use, and you test with that, right? And uh, you're not put any you're not gonna put anything in production that it's not working for you on your many people nowadays refer to your Jupyter notebooks uh, environment, which is like a, in your local whatever the whatever the development. Uh, environment you're using then uh, once we decide something is working and tested with data that is as close as possible to our real life uh, then we implement it in uh, in there by default nowadays we are trying always to do a b testing so we will put we will put let's say 50 percent of users uh, to use the old system 50 percent the new system right and then what do we measure there we normally Either, either very specific things on that specific algorithm that you know depends. I mean, they, we're talking very abstractly here, uh, but uh, many, many times what we're interesting in is in the main KPIs of the company. So, so engagement, retention uh, depends on which cases monetization. Even though we are not, I'm not doing any specific AI to try to get you to pay more, but that sort of comes as a result of people liking the app. But yeah, do we I, we're going to look at. Uh, one thing we look at at all a lot is uh, is the the user gonna finish a lot more lessons so lesson finish rate that means that the user is more engaged he likes it right maybe if my algorithm is able to give you the best feedback more accurate feedback you're gonna be like oh yeah and then you want to do another lesson and another one so so lesson finish rate number of lessons per user um, how long the sessions are etc etc right and we will always a b test it so that we know in comparison okay how are we doing now versus how we, we, we do it later or even based on meta parameters so what if we turn it this part a little bit more or less uh, uh, so we do a little bit of that yeah how, how many users are you guys currently having to be using the app it's uh it it fluctuates a lot i mean this year we've had a lot of more a certain use because of the people staying at home right uh, and uh, we've gone we've gone to over a million monthly unique monthly users oh, wow uh yeah it, it's uh it fluctuates a bit i mean it depends right but yeah, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> good numbers already it's um, uh it's enough yeah it's enough people that when when something doesn't work you really know people are complaining about it and yeah. and language learning people are rightfully very strict on on the what they want and so 
we know we have to deal with uh, having always the right phonetics, having always the right algorithm. Many times it's like, hey, I cannot practice the, the TH sound in this exercise. And then we have to go look at it, download a bunch of uh, samples from it, look at them, pass them through the algorithm. Oh, yes, right. So let's make a specific rule for this so users can practice. So it's really, it's challenging, but at the same, same time, is this scale that you can actually then improve and, and, and go faster, right? Because you already have the, the critical mass there using it. Right. Yeah, uh, that's totally right. And I agree with you. Uh, people like language learner users are really uh, straightforward in telling you if there is something that, that doesn't work with your app or whatever your product is. Because one reason I think is because they have a lot, there's a lot of products in the language learning and they have a plethora of choices that they can choose and if they're not satisfied they the switching costs for them to switch from this app to the other app or even to something else just talking with their uh friend in england or whatever it is it's not it's it's very low <laughs> and if so if, yeah so so yeah on this you have lots of apps and this is um what at the very beginning uh it it became the way to differentiate ourselves so so i talked to you like my my co-founder was looking for a technical co-founder the that was not just because oh yeah some people say i have to have a technical co-founder i mean the reason there was uh you could make an app for language learning that is basically uh using uh an API, a speech recognition API from one of the vendors out there, being Google or Amazon or anybody. Um, but it really, you're doomed to, to, to failure. One, you're doing something that everybody else can do. I mean, a developer can tap into the, into the API, can build it, and there is tons of apps. Great UI, sometimes I I'm, I'm really love them, uh, trying them, but, but then you'll see, okay, when you speak to it, you just it's just it, you see it's an asr system where it's comparing to see whether it recognized the same as 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 what is you're supposed to say and tells you yeah great or no no great and you can trick it so easily um even until recently these main players like duolingo Wuzoo, they've been using this they've been using uh, uh api based uh, in here you're you're as i said if you're doing it only for language pronunciation and these guys are not, these guys are, are doing global language learning. You're doing for language pronunciation, you're doomed to, to failure because those ASR APIs will and do continuously add new audio, new training data, and will eventually accept everything you say, even if you say it with a horrible accent, because they will understand you. So it will not give you any feedback. Now, from the very, very beginning, we set up first with myself, and then I started getting, creating a team. Now we are seven people that we do, like this is the AI team. We basically people with PhDs and uh, uh, working on the AI problem and we build uh, the the, our own technology. So, so we basically created from scratch from the audio data, training data, uh, then the data we gather from, from, uh, our, from our usage of the app and we train the thing from the ground up. And now, now we can control exactly the quality we give, right? I mean, uh, uh, so yeah, and that's the differentiation I would say, right? Uh, there's tons of apps out there, but how many of those do actually have own technology and, 
and uh, uh, a team of dedicated people, a good, good quality team that has been doing that for a few years. I don't know. I don't know of any other one. Maybe one. Maybe one other. Right. So having like a unique selling point and addressing a specific problem for your users and and solving that problem really well with a very clear focus uh, increase the odds of succeeding uh, as a startup. Obviously, there are other elements, but as you mentioned, those are really critical. And UI, UX, um, luck, uh, you know, right. yeah, tons of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To wrap it up, um, last question. Uh, what is the impact that you want to have as a founder and who are the people that can connect with you and where they can reach you? This is a very broad question. Um, <laughs> look, as, a, as an entrepreneur, um, I, wanna, I want to help people. I, I, I cannot say I will never, but I wouldn't feel comfortable working for a company that doesn't do a product that is for the good of humanity or the good of people, right? And I've been enjoying so much at Elsa because everything I do, I do it so that people can improve their lives and improve, get more confident speaking English, you know, I mean, like improve their life through this specific problem that we are trying to help them solve, you know, and, and that I think that it's, it's affordable enough so people of all different levels of income and, and location they can actually use. Um, as, an, as a founder, uh, my, my role, my duty is to be able to push the company to do that and also like to, to the outside, right? Uh, be able to offer um, comfort to the investors that what we are doing is also on their benefit because we are not just being a, a charitable company. We are looking for, for them to, to recover and with an interest or the money they've invested. But uh, inwards, I'm always looking for my people to have fun as I said in the beginning, have fun, see that what they're doing here makes sense, see that what they're building is being used that has an impact and uh, create sort of this culture uh, as good as a culture as startup, which doesn't mean like, oh yeah, here you have a ping pong table, you have a foosball. No, but uh, like they, they feel realized like, okay, you know, I am, I am doing something that is helping here on on the grand on the grand objective of the company right um yeah and if people connecting i mean by all means anybody that would like to contribute to this to to this uh, this uh trip or this uh, to to elsa in one way or the other get in touch we are always uh, looking for collaborations we are always looking for for uh, new employees uh, um, uh, people in speech come in uh, uh, if uh, we are, whenever we have openings, I mean, I definitely, uh, I'd, I'd love to extend the team within, uh, nowadays, it doesn't matter, Europe, it doesn't matter because everybody is at home, right? But, okay. uh, and if somebody just wants to have a chat like we have today, I mean, fantastic, yeah, let's talk. Javier, thank you for uh, joining the Founders Club podcast. It was really great to chat with you and know more about Elsa. It was amazing. Thanks a lot. Have a nice day.